Hello and welcome to another TV Central podcast. I'm Aaron Ryan. This week I thought we would have a general television discussion and who better to talk television than Tim Burrows, who's the editor of media website Mumbrella, whose tagline is everything under Australia's media and marketing umbrella. Certainly a site I check out each and every morning. Tim, thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me along. Lovely. Well, we're actually recording this podcast just hours before The Renovators makes its debut. Uh, pre the block launching this year, I would have predicted this show to be just as huge as MasterChef. It still looks like a hit in the making in terms of production. However, will the audience get into this show while still watching The Block, or will they leave The Block for The Renovators? Or is the new show going to suffer because of The Block being on air at the same time? Look, I tell you what, I would absolutely love to know how much crossover there is from individual audiences. You know, is it that same hardcore of about a million who flip from channel to channel? Or actually, is it the same million at most channels and then the cream on top is, is you know, sort of the 20 or 30% of people who shift in one direction or another? Um, my, my, yeah, my, my sense is, you know, and I think you sort of hint at it in the question, is it feels quite similar and quite, you know, close in timings and, and relatively close in format particularly as the arguably the block has, has you know moved its format slightly closer to the renovators with the sort of you know warehouse side of things as well so I I, I think it's a gamble but the, the thing is you know think back sort of two or three years and how much of a gamble it felt when you know they decided that they were going to strip MasterChef you know in prime time five, five or six nights a week you know that felt like a much bigger gamble and of course that you know they pulled that one off mm. Well, with Channel 10's having lots of gambles lately, it's, it's, it's just been a massive year for 10. They had the launch of George Negus, of course, which was a gamble for them. Uh, Neighbours moving over to 11. The, obviously, the James Warburton saga, the axings, the redundancies. Do you expect all of this uh, will, will hurt Network 10, or is this uh, the clean-out they needed and they should be really focused and ready for 2012? Yeah, I suppose, it, and it all feels like there's this sort of everything's a bit on hold until Warburton actually starts. Actually, funnily enough, I bumped into him a couple of nights ago. I was at the, um, <laughs> the Astro Awards, and he was just sitting in the row in front of me. So I had a, had a little bit of a chat and said hello, because his, his partner works in, in subscription television. So he was, he was there as the plus one. So I get the impression he's really kind of enjoying the break and, you know, kind of raring to go with sort of once, once he's, he's, he's allowed to get started. But, you know, but in the meantime, yeah, it... it it feels like there is a lot of turmoil going on. Um, now, some of it, I think, is, you know, we've got the goings-on just in the advertising market, which, of course, uh, tends to suffer more, more than most when there was that kind of downturn in revenue, which, which I guess was what did for Grant Blackley, really. Uh, so that I think they're still kind of recovering from that fallout to a certain extent. But, um, but yeah, I... I mean, what they need to be is a network that isn't just relying on one show, which, while MasterChef, you know, has done really, really well, there hasn't been a breakout. You know, there have been some successes. You know, you could probably argue that, you know, 7 p.m. project has, you know, rates well enough now to be a sort of, you know, slow-burning success. But they yeah. they do need another, um, you know, an, a, a, another breakthrough. So, but, but at the same time, it almost feels to me like, they're kind of on hold until James Warburton gets there. 
Mm. Well, one of the shows that got given a flick with all of this was Video Hits. They needed to save some money somewhere. Um, do you think this was the right choice? Yeah, I wondered whether this was partly about sending some signals, you know, to the market and maybe even internally as well that change is coming, change is happening. Because my, my impression is it wouldn't be hugely expensive in programming terms. So, you know, I kind of, for the, you know, for the, for the dollars it would save, um, the, the headlines it got seemed to kind of outstrip it. And they would have known that when they did the decision. So, so I think that was one of their ways of telling the market. And, you know, let's not forget they've also got shareholders who want to feel confident that, you know, even if the next results come through and they're not that great, that they're doing something about it. So I, I wonder whether some of it was, you know, was, was sending the signal because it's not, you know, uh, when you've got a franchise that's kind of well-known, it's not always a good idea to get rid of it. Mm. Well, well, the other franchise that, that well might be giving the flick as the rumour is uh, Sports Tonight. That's been on air for a long time. Do you think that will be missed? And that will be a real shame. I mean, I think back to when they started messing around with the 10 years at 5 at the weekend, and they suddenly realised actually they, you know, they, the, the, the benefits they thought would come through just didn't. And of course, you know, it, it, again, it's a, it's a powerful little brand within the, um, within the 10 stables. So that, that one, getting rid of it altogether would, would seem like a mistake. What they might, of course, do is, you know, downgrade it or move the time slots or all of these things and, um, you know, and some, but some, you know, somehow keep the name. But, um, but unfortunately, with a name like that, they can't easily move it over to 11. Well, I mean, if you, if you were, let's just play a CEO for a moment. Um, so if you were forced to make uh, on-air cuts, where would you make them at Network 10? Yeah, I, I mean, that, that obviously, the, the, the question starts obviously with the premise that you have to make cuts. And I, you know, up to now, the strategy for 10, obviously, over the years has always been, you know, it's, it, it's been a station which has been run cheaply. It's gone after the, the sort of the younger demographic, which is advertiser-friendly. So it's a nice sort of cheap and cheerful advertising buy. Um, I'm not sure that works. And this, this is, the, I think, the big question. You know, I remember someone sort of talking to me about, must be about three, three, three and a half years ago. So, you know, a little while before MasterChef mm. came along the safe turn and saying that what we were going to see with the launch of the secondary channels was this really big squeeze on Ten's audiences. You know, that Ten couldn't just go for the the younger audience because um, you were going to see what eventually became Go and what eventually became 7-2 sort of squeezing from other directions. So, you know, 10 couldn't just go on being what it was, which actually is why they went a bit more after a kind of all-people audience. And, of course, you know, MasterChef was their saving, I suppose. But we're still seeing the squeeze happen. And I'm not sure that, um, the, you know, the danger is if you, if you just make cuts, then actually what you do is you're managing decline. Um, uh, but equally, I, you know, the, 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 the short answer, which is kind of dodging the question, is, is I'm not sure there's an easy answer that doesn't just, just manage decline. You know, I, I know a couple of people reasonably senior within the industry who've sort of been offered big programming jobs at various networks and turned it down because they just can't see what the future's going to hold and they don't feel that optimistic about it. So I... Yeah, I'm not, I, I, I'm on, you know, it's a very waffly way of saying I honestly don't know the answer to that. Mm. Well, another one of their big changes, of course, this year was the the 90-minute news and, and George Negus, which, are, 
I guess doing average, clearly Tim would like to pick up some more ratings points before the year is out. Was this the best way going forward for 10, or should have 10 remained a point of difference by showing general entertainment shows against 7 and 9's new shows? Yeah, I mean, it certainly felt like Negus at 6 didn't work. Then Negus at 6.30 seemed to work a bit better in the sort of previous sort of, you know, long running of news before that. You know, at least improved ratings overall. And, of course, don't forget that they're, by at the same time, shifting neighbours over to 11. What that did was overall their share across the two channels improved. So in revenue terms, it was probably a good move for them. They probably got more advertising revenue than they otherwise would have done. So, um, you know, I kind of, I, I think it was as good a move as any, but, you know, you also get the sense that maybe the commitment's slipping a bit. You know, there are, the, you know, the, 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 the drums are beating louder and louder that, you know, the, 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 the late night repeat of Negus is, is, is on the way out and all of those sort of things. So mm. it, it kind of feels that, um, that they're not, they're not sure how committed they are to it. And, of course, you know, this again comes to, you know, what will happen when the new CEO comes in. Mm. That would be an interesting and another podcast for next year when all of that happens. Um, a couple of quick things for 10, though. Their, their multi-channel 11 is doing very well, showing lots of new content, a stable schedule, and scripted shows and programming each night. Comparing that with Go's ever-changing schedule, are you, are you enjoying the channel? What, what do you think of 11? Yeah, I am, and obviously, you know, they've got they, they, they've got a, quite, a couple of great U.S. content deals as well. You know, the that sort of joint venture um, for Eleven is working in terms of delivering the content. Um, so yeah, I, and I suppose what what we're what we're seeing Go suffer from to a to a certain extent is because it, its fortunes are so linked to Nine, and Nine has so sort of struggled in that sort of seven seven thirty slot to find a, a stable you know schedule there when the likes of you know two and a half men have faded, etc. then that sort of has meant that they've, um, that, you know, so as not to have the same show running on the two, you know, on, on nine and go at the same time, which often happened in the, in the schedule league. You then seem to see that knock on to, uh, knock on to go as well. But yeah, and to me, this is, you know, this sort of inter-network battle where they all keep chopping and changing their schedule competitively against each other at the last minute. In the end, it's, you know, it, it, it actually feels like they're dragging the whole industry down by doing this. You know, mm. it's a bit like you know when when programs deliberately run right to hang on to the audience. It annoys the audience. They might you know they might win the battle that night, but overall it's bad for television because it's just treating the viewers with disrespect. Mm. Absolutely agree. Um, look, with, with the multi-channels on air, Ten has been a lot better playing out shows. Um, uh, they had been a lot better playing out shows uh, of late, and and they've been pull- but they've been pulling a number of shows off the schedule lately though, and and not playing them out. Uh, shows like Undercover Boss USA, Medium, White Collar, Friday Night Lights, Burn Notice, Law and Order, all examples. Um, plus, I suppose In Plain Sight, Army Wives, Psych, still not back. When they had one channel, perhaps it was hard to reschedule some things immediately. But when they have three channels. Is there any excuse for not playing at a show when there is only you know half a dozen episodes left? No, I don't think so. I mean, to me, it, it, again, it comes down to this respect for the viewers thing, you know. And of course, yeah. ten, you know, looking back a bit longer ago, you know, ten were never that respectful to things like Outrageous Fortune, uh, of you know, sort of from uh, over the water as well. Yeah. Um, so, 
I, yeah, I mean, it, it, it comes down to this mindset of winning tonight's battle and being quite sort of short term rather than the, you know, the long, the, the longer term relationship with the viewer. Um, you know, and I, particularly as, as time shifting becomes that, that, that much easier as well. For someone who's really dedicated to a show, it doesn't actually matter quite so much now what time it's scheduled or what channel, so long as it, it's easy to find and predictable where it's going to be. Um, because, you know, hey, um, you know, most of our, us have got Foxtel IQ these days that can find it for us. Mm, totally agree. Um, look, let's let's move to nine now. A disastrous start to the year. The home of comedy ended up being the home of flops. Um, shit, my dad says live from planet Earth. Two and a half men losing steam. Mike and Mo- Molly failing. Did nine misread the audience? Did we want comedy, or were these just poor choices for comedy? Yeah, um, that's a really hard one because you know I remember when they announced um, Ben Elton, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. You know, and I remember thinking, well, you know, he was he was great 20 years ago. And I think maybe this was the thing, was, was you know, what it did feel like was that maybe he hadn't evolved. So, you know, I think, you know, people have said so much about Life and Planet Earth already. It, it's probably a bit boring for you and your listeners to spend too much time talking about it. But, um, but yeah, to me, it... it it was just, you know, it, it, it was that the show didn't work. Um, mm. So, yeah, you know, and this was the problem was, you know, the whole strategy was we're going to be about comedy. Um, and, of course, they weren't to know what was going to happen with, um, you know, with Charlie Sheen. But I, I do wonder whether the show, whether Two and a Half Men would have burnt out anyway. Mm. Um, and, you know, you do look at um, Nine's kind of, you know, scheduling decisions where, you know, look, look a while back at sort of, how Millionaire was a massive hit, and then they just scheduled it so often it burnt out. And then, gosh, yeah, about four years ago, it was all about uh, Gordon Ramsay. And mm. at one point, you know, there were three or four episodes of Gordon Ramsay a week. And I, you know, I remember being at a presentation David Gingell did where he, you know, he kind of, you know, he kind of said, well, you know, thank fuck for Gordon Ramsay. Um, and of course, they overused him and that burnt out. And, and we've seen it with Two and a Half Men. and, and you know, I you you you've got to wonder how long um, Big Bang Theory will hold up for, really. When um, mm. you know, when when that's the new stopgap. Um, you know, it looks like sort of as to the same stable. Obviously, you know, Mike and Molly hasn't really caught. Um, so yeah, the question is, you know, what what will be the next option? Will you know, will two and a half men kind of come back to life again, come back from the dead? You know, we'll have to see. Well, look, it wasn't just the comedies, though. I mean, they said home of comedy, and, and that kind of failed, but a lot of other things are failing. Even drama was down. Sea Patrol's final season was a fizzer. Rescue has been flat, although there was a small rise last week. CSI's are nothing near where they used to be. The Mentalist is down. Top Gear was trounced both new and repeat. Getaway was given the flick to Saturday afternoons. So, I mean, is it a just a show-by-show show failure, or has the Nine Network brand been lost on viewers and... They're yeah. just not sticking with nine. I mean, different reasons. So, for instance, you know, you mentioned Getaway, and I, um, I, I, I know you've had David Mott on 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 your podcast. Um, I, I chatted to him, and he he used the intriguing phrase um, "least objectionable programming." So, I, his, I, 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 to sort of paraphrase his view, it's that sort of when there were the three main networks, if you you know if you if the viewers were flicking along and you had the least objectionable show. 
then they'd probably stick with you and it'd rate. And I wonder whether that was how something like Getaway used to do okay. You know, it was pretty bland and inoffensive. But suddenly in the multi-channel world, then, you know, and there's, there's you know, maybe a dozen choices, even people who haven't got um, subscription TV, then, you know, then that sort of program's affected. So I think what we did see was that, the, you know, the more bland shows were the ones that really... Um, you know, that really suffered in that environment. But then, yeah, you look at something, you mentioned Top Gear, and of course, um, respect for viewers again. It was, it was a game to try and fool people that they were watching a new episode, um, that, um, you know, they were, gonna, they were just going to run the season in order, you know, all of those things, which, mm. which were really frustrating for, for viewers. And of course, um, particularly I think maybe people had sort of grown up with, with watching it on SBS just objected for the sheer running time you know it, you know, commercial networks are commercial they've got to make money and they do that through advertising but it always felt like there were so many ad breaks jammed into Top Gear and it became such a long program it, mm. it became a less pleasurable experience to watch so I kind of um, you, you know so you, you can't point to any one thing I mean you know Rescue Special Ops I mean you know, some of it was um, some of it was down to the quality of the shows, but you know, as you say, the last couple of weeks it's kind of been on the way back. Where, you know, probably mainly just just on the on the back of inheriting a you know reasonably good audience from um, from the block. But but you know, when a show's bad now, readers, you know, viewers rather see through it very quickly. You know, remember Cops LAC? How quickly mm. that came was found out and when, and that you know that was massively promoted. But you know, viewers gave it one chance, and it was pretty dreadful. And they, you know, they 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 soon went away. Um, so I think, yeah, a lot of it is just you can't actually treat viewers like fools anymore. Mm. Um, well, it's not all disaster. Things have turned around uh, with Channel Nine with the Block. This was a very important show for them, giving them great returns and also giving them uh, good lead-ins. The Big Bang Theory, uh, I see, has risen since the Block has been on, and uh, also Hot Property is doing well. Top design opened well. That's kind of gone down, though. Yeah, well, I mean, second show was down about thirty percent or something. I think thirty mm, percent. I mean, what do you think of the block, though, and and its and its fortunes Nine's given them, and and also, yeah, about about top design. Yeah, I mean, Nine must be so relieved that the block has worked, and it and it's all come together relatively quickly as well. You know, I kind of I I, I was overseas for about three weeks covering a advertising festival in another part of the world. And when I got back, it felt like a slightly different, you know, like things had shifted, like it was a slightly different scenario. Um, you know, nine obviously is still sort of lagging behind seven, but it feels like they're at least back in the game. Now, mm. I suppose, again, a bit like ten, they're, they're heavily relying on one show for that. So, you know, ten have got MasterChef, nine have got the blog. But, you know, they, they, it feels like there's a bit more reason for optimism because, of course, they've got, you know, underbelly cut to come shortly as well. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if in the second half of the year we we, we, we see Nine win a few weeks. Mm. The the other um, big show, we talked about the block, but uh, the other big show coming for Nine this week is um, Hamish and Andy's Gap Year. Do you think they are uh, they're the right fit for Nine? I mean, they were on the youngest skewing, I suppose, 10 in the past. Will they find a crowd on Thursday nights lodged between Hot Property and the footy show? Yeah, because the, the question is, of course, what you know, what demographic um, you know nine are going after, and the the danger being being in the sort of in the footy show area, 
that it does skew quite male. Um, yeah, this 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 one. The, the the closer it gets, and the more little hints come out, the more that it feels like it could be quite a good show. Um, whether it's on the right night, I don't know. Um, you know, they kind of made on the the, the Hamish and Andy sort of radio show when they were announcing the time slot and stuff. They made a big kind of thing of involving the listeners in choosing what night it was going to be, which of course was a you know, I'm sure a scheduling decision that had already been made by nine, but um, and you actually got the feeling that that it 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 wasn't their listeners' first choice, but mm. you know, it, obviously the you know the Hamish and Andy now it's a weekly drive time show on on the Southern Cross or Stereo Network is um, you know is, is still massively popular, yeah. so there'll be a lot of promotion you know coming to it from that. You can, I mean, it started already, but you know, you can bet your life in the next few days there'll be massive kind of advertising promotion from nine, not just on the own network, but but you know, kind of on the back. You'll, I'm sure you'll be seeing Hamish Andy on the backs of buses and all sorts. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think they'll promote it very, very hard. So of course, you know, much like Ben Elton, there will be you know a level of sampling, but the question is, is it enough to make people then stick with it, so that you know. Like Ben Elton, you know, demonstrated people will tune in, but the first 15 minutes counts for an awful lot for, you know, perhaps more so for something which is sort of variety and and comedy, which seems is is what you know the direction that Hamish and Andy are going to go in. Mm. Hey, look, let, let's play the um. We, we hate doing this sometimes, but let's play the ratings game. Um, what do you, what do you think you can give nine on Thursday night? Ah, uh, good question. Well, I, um, at uh, at Mumbrella, we actually play the ratings game every morning. We kind mm-hmm. of um, we pick a show, and then everyone in the team calls out a number for what they predict, and whoever's uh, furthest out has to go and make the first round of tea of the morning. So, um, <laughs> so, so I I I've become adept at um, uh, going in the middle of the guesses. So it's it's a bit harder when I'm the only one guessing. But I I reckon I, I I'll, I'll shoot for one point three. I think. All right, I'll I'll, uh, I'll put one. I'll have to hold you to a guess as well, though. Yeah, one point one. I I think it's just it's just the slot that it's given. Uh, mainly, not so much just the show. I just don't think no, nothing's working on Thursday night at all. Even though I noticed MasterChef and and things like that seem to be down on on towards the end of the week on Thursdays and Friday nights. And usually, you only have sort of three or four shows over a million on on Thursdays. So I don't think that can do anything major. But we'll I guess we'll see. Yeah, no, you're right. It is a tough slot. Uh, look, we we did touch on this when we spoke about eleven earlier on. Uh, just a, a bit more chat about that. There's no d- doubt that Nine's multi-channel on Go is the most frenzy scheduled channel. No doubt, amendments are made almost daily, and the channel went from a, a wide range of US import shows and programs to running a bunch of. Basically, they're just running a bunch of movies most nights of the week and endless reruns of Two and a Half Men, The Big Bang Theory, and Top Gear. All of their other shows they had on seemed to be going to 4.30 in the afternoon or midnight, like The Vampire Diaries, Nikita. Um, has the show, has the channel lost its identity, or what, what's the problem? Why are Nine just all over the place with Go? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I, I the, the question is, can a network have both their main channel and their two secondary channels all perform um, on the same night, you know, without too much cannibalizing of their own audience to take place. And to kick off with, arguably, Nine and Go were 
best at it. Um, seven were a little bit late to the party, probably, particularly with you know with with Mike coming along, and obviously ten launching eleven was even later still. So, and each time there's been a launch, that you know that's changed the you know changed the dynamic again, I suppose. So, you know, on the one hand, it makes sense the personality of the channel that you know that launched. You know, in the time it's been launched, the, the landscape has changed. So it makes sense for that personality to change. But I'm not sure the viewers know what the new personality is, and that's the problem. It's not so much that it's changed; it's that I'm not sure. You know, Nine has a settled view on what the channel is and what it should be for. Mm. Well, let's uh, flick to. Uh, we've spoken about Ten and uh, Nine. Let's go to Seven. Uh, when there's a loser, there generally has to be a winner, and that's been Seven. They've won 20 out of 20 weeks, including all State of Origin weeks. They're in front in all key demos and have had a variety of hits this year. Not not all their eggs in one basket. I guess the question is, can Seven do no wrong? And it, is it the programs that are great, or does having the seven brand behind the shows make the program a better sell for for viewers and then and then advertisers? Yeah, I mean it has been an absolutely brilliant year for seven, and I wonder with the networks whether actually what tends to happen is their fortunes and the ratings are maybe based on what's gone on behind the scenes over the previous couple of years, mm. and what you kind of saw was. You know, a fair bit of turmoil going on behind the scenes at nine with, you know, sort of unsettled questions about the ownership and all of that sort of thing. Um, whereas Seven was steaming along, you know, for a long time, a very um, stable leadership team. So I think, you know, what we're, what we're seeing is them sort of, you know, reaping all, you know, the benefits of everything that kind of David Lackey had put in place. But, of course, we've also you know, seeing what might signal the, the, the fact that this might be a high watermark for them in that, you know, this year we've seen um, James Warburton who, you know, was seen by many people as well, you know, uh, one of the best media salespeople in Australia, not just for TV, but across all media, you know, mm. letting him go. And of course it all, in the court case, it all became very clear, you know, just what a horrible mess it was that they ended up letting him go they didn't want to lose him and it was it was handled badly mm. and at the same time you know it sort of it drew that picture of you know david lecky kind of you know being this kind of sort of garrulous character but all you know also something of a loose cannon as well um and, and you know it sort of raised those questions of is his time nearly over um, you know, and that was kind of what the, you know, what the, 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 that was the picture the judge drew as much as anything. So mm. I, I, I just wonder that whether next year we'll, we'll see ourselves looking back and, you know, saying, okay, well, you know, 2011 was as good as it got for seven, where, you know, everything from several years lined up and went right. You know, and we've seen tiny little scenes, you know, for instance, um, until quite recently, today was running uh, on nine, was running sunrise very close in the morning. Um, now, in fact, that sort of that maybe that crisis is over. Although there were still days when they run very, very close, mm. but um, you know, so, but but you know, certainly felt that actually, you know, sunrise isn't the um, that morning dominator that it was for seven. So, so you know, there are little chinks in the armour. They're you know, they're they're absolutely not a spent force, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they won next year as well. But I, you know, I I, I don't think it's a dead set. You know, particularly if not if ten starts competing a bit more. Mm. 
Well, the, you, you talk about those uh, chinks. The the other thing that I noticed uh, interesting with Seven uh, is is that they're giving their US slate shows a red hot go, even though they they've not been given the chop in it. Even though they've been given the chop in America, like No Ordinary Family uh, started well but faded away. I suppose it's doing well now on Seven Mate. Law and Order LA probably the biggest uh, flop of the year. Uh, Criminal Mind Suspect Behaviour is coming up in a couple of weeks, which is which was not awarded a second season in America. Off the map, was given a 10-30 slot, but even by that standard was a disaster. Uh, they tried giving Detroit 187 a go, but that was flicked to 10-30. I suppose the point here is, I mean, is it good giving these shows a go, even though they're, they're flops in, uh, in America? But I suppose more importantly, we're talking about those, those chinks in the armor. They've done really, really well seven at the start of the year, but now they they seem to be running into a bit of trouble. So what do you think is happening here with seven at the moment as we go into the second half? I mean, as I said, they're giving all these axed shows a go in prime time. Yeah, I mean, I wonder whether some of it, you know, is is the fact that seven, you know, started this year as strategically it was the right thing. They threw all of their best stuff out, you know, at the screen and got a lot of it on air early and it worked. But, um, you know, and... But what that what that has left them is hours and hours of police procedurals to use up. So I think some of it is you know using it up. Now I wonder whether in the back of their minds is is a thought process with some of these shows. Okay, you know even if um, they 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 don't hit uh, you know acceptable prime time ratings, run them a couple of times, get the audience introduced them, and then even if they move over to seven two or seven May then you're probably going to take some of that audience across with you. So, you know, some of it could be a bit of a, you know, um, secondary channels development strategy as well. Mm. But, um, but you know, it kind of, it's, it, it's hard to call, you know. It's a, or sometimes you just wonder whether they're, they're running interference. So, for instance, you know, the, 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 the great battle of law and order with, you know, 10, ten running the original franchise, franchise and, Seven with uh, mm. Law and Order LA on at the same time. Yep. Whether that was Seven trying to create interference for Ten or Ten trying to create interference for Seven, I'm not quite sure. But certainly that one, obviously, in the end, played to Ten's favour. Mm. Well, I mean, do you think Seven? I mean, we're talking about those act shows, but I mean, has Seven hit a snag now with Nine and Ten pushing ahead with MasterChef, Renovators, and the Block and Seven's got a few issues. Monday, 9.30, uh, Team Wolf was moved after one episode. Covert Affairs returning very moderately. Crash Investigation Unit, World's Deadliest Rose. Roads are very so-so. Thursday, 7.30, just shrinking in numbers with, with current occupant, the Vicar of Dibley. Then, of course, we talked about the flop of Law and Order LA. Is there reading too much into it? I mean, after all that, they still do have their hits, uh, Downtown Abbey, Great Migrations, Australia's Got Talent, Amazing Race. So, I mean, have they hit a snag, or, or are they still doing okay? Yeah, I, I mean, I do think they're, they're, they're still doing okay. You know, I mean, you point towards Downtown Abbey, you know, giving that, that big Sunday night slot was probably the right time, you know, right day of the week. Really great trailers for it as well, though. You know, really kind of played up the kind of the sex and intrigue rather than the sort of period drama side of it. Um, yep. So I thought they promoted it really, really well. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it wasn't a dead set. I think that, that was going to be a massive hit. I know it was huge in the UK, but nonetheless, they, they, there's been plenty of stuff that has been big in the UK that hasn't broken here. So, you know, that was a good piece of scheduling. But as you say, yeah, th- Thursdays, you know... 
you know, what is it? Is it the day they go after a specific demographic or, quite, you know, quite mm. what is it? But I sp- and I suppose the hope there is none of the other channels have really cracked it yet either. Mm. Uh, well, there's still a few other shows to come, and I was just going to get your opinion on them, and uh, if you can give me a hit or miss for each show. Uh, Dinner Date Australia with, with Manu. Um, depends on the format. I I think with Manu that, you know, Seven have obviously decided that he, he is a character that the audience loves. You know, obviously he... he um, you know, succeeded with um, the Dancing with the Stars and was very good on My Kitchen Rules. But, of course, he was also in the first episode of um, uh, Beat the Star. Was it called Beat the Star? That yes, one? that's one, yep. Yeah, um, and that, you know, that rated pretty dreadfully. And, you know, good on him for taking part, presumably the contract meant he had to. But, um, you know, he kind of went into it quite sort of gainfully but it's a bit like you know nine have discovered that just because eddie mcguire is in a show it's not guaranteed to be a hit the same with you know manu it's already the case that um that just because he's in it it's not guaranteed to be a hit so it'll need to be a good format as well okay so reserving that one for uh seeing how the execution is uh four weddings that's going to return for a second season will that do okay I think it probably will. Yeah, the audience seems to, you know, kind of seems to like Fifi and stuff. So, um, you know, again, it's on finding the talent and keeping, you know, getting the right stars of the show in terms of, you know, the uh, the four weddings. But, um, but you know, probably do okay. I would have thought. Uh, U.S. dramas aren't doing so well at the moment. Uh, probably the the better one to come out of America in terms of ratings over there was Body of Proof with uh, da- Dana Delaney. Do you think that will do okay? I honestly don't know anything about that show, actually. So that, that'll that be one that I'll be watching with as much interest as anyone else. Excellent. Okay, Criminal Minds obviously does well. It's got a, a uh, spin-off suspect behaviour with uh, Forrest Whitaker heading the team. Do you think in Australia the audience will just one week watch Criminal Minds and the next week suspect behaviour and just follow on? or? Well, you... Uh... I mean, the, the question has now been raised because of how Law & Order did with Law & Order LA. But Forrest Whitaker, massive heavyweight, obviously. So you'd hope he'd bring some sort of gravitas to it. Um, and the other one, World's Strictest Parents. That, that's just been off air for quite a quite a while. I, I think they do some replays in Sydney and Brisbane on Sunday mornings. But uh, hasn't been on air for a new episodes for a while. Do you think that will return to it? I've, I've not detected a big clamour from the viewing public to have that back. So, um, so no, I, I, you know, I, I suspect that they'll they'll use it to fill a hole, but I don't think it will be a big one for them. Okay, and finally, two big ones for Channel Seven returning. Uh, do you think the X Factor will fire second time round? Yeah, I think it probably will. Won't it? It did well enough the first time. You know, I think it surprised a few people on, you know, how well it did. You know, it wasn't. It didn't quite make that chatting about it in the office the next morning status but um yeah it you know it 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 did well enough i think so yeah i i i think there's there's probably life for at least one more series and finally the uh, big new australian drama bush uh bush ranger series wild boys um for channel seven yeah this one you you'd have to have really big hopes for you know the idea of it says something about you know Australia and Australian culture, and I think probably it will almost play well that um, Underbelly would have probably gone to air first and kind of, you know, given people a bit of a kind of taste for sort of um, Australian history drama. So I, um, yeah, I, 
I reckon that one will probably do quite well. Mm. And of course, um, they've got Pack to the Rafters, which also back, be back, and there's no reason that shouldn't remain a hit. Well, um, that pretty much wraps up uh, each of the commercial networks. Um, but before we leave this podcast, I want to get a bit, bit personal for a moment and ask a few questions about yourself, um, yeah, your hum- sure. humble beginnings. Tell us about your journey from, from school to, to end up working in the media. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure that many people manage it now, but I was lucky enough that I've been a journalist since I was 18. So I kind of, you know, was in the UK, was lucky enough to find a kind of, you know, low-paid junior trainee position on a local newspaper. Um, and I, you know, I, 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 I sort of went the newspaper's route for a long time. So sort of, you know, local and, 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 and daily papers. Um, and then eventually kind of, um, you know, many journalists at some point sort of end up specialising. And... Um, you know, my my first specialisation was actually writing about um, uh, doctors. So I, um, you know, worked six or seven years, kind of you know, writing about the the National Health Service in the UK. I eventually became the editor of a publication called Hospital Doctor. But um, but you know, one of the things about journalists is, um, you know, one day you're writing about that, and then the next day you jump across. So so I guess my sort of break into writing about media was which which I'd always wanted to do and sort of gone for a couple of previous interviews with the same company, was um, I was fortunate enough to persuade the bosses of Media Week that the editing skills I'd built up on Hospital Doctor, um, you know, kind of writing about um, well-paid, arrogant, opinionated people, would also work writing about media, you know, writing about... You can you can finish the punchline yourself, but um, but yeah, so so I literally went one day from the editor of Hospital Doctor to editor of Media Week in the UK. So that was sort of my first adventure writing about this world. And, and in the UK, the main focus of Media Week was kind of on the media agencies and that side mm. of it, you know, like the business side of media. But yeah, then I ended up um, uh, moving to the Middle East to launch um, the Middle East franchise of a magazine called Campaign that writes about advertising and media. So that was sort of based in Dubai, but covering the markets in... Saudi Arabia and um, and Lebanon as well, um, and then from the, the thing that brought me to Australia was um, uh, the editorship of B&T magazine, which is um, a magazine for the advertising industry, and that took me up to about two years ago when I launched Umbrella. So, so tell us about Umbrella, how how that was actually conceived. Yeah, I mean, like most pieces of sort of you know. Um, you know, we, 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 I think we've become reasonably commercially successful now, but, you know, how we've ended up wasn't what the, the, the plan was initially. You know, my, our, our thought was um, that actually the market was pretty well covered for, you know, titles about the advertising and media industry, and there wouldn't be room for another. So we wouldn't just be taking on, you know, established titles like Ad News and B&T, but we'd mm. launch a series of really niche titles, you know, something that just focused on advertising agencies, something that just focused on people working in PR or journalists or TV networks, you know, and we'd do a series of these. Um, and these would probably be PDFs that would go out once a fortnight was the plan. And then we'd need somewhere that we'd put all this content afterwards. So we kind of thought, okay, well, look, this will be the umbrella brand and we'll just chuck something up on WordPress. Um, and that was umbrella. Unfortunately, that took off. So the terrible idea of the fortnightly PDF never happened. Mm. For for 
people that are not totally aware of, of what, what you do, um, uh, tell us about the site, exactly exactly what it is. I mean, you, you talked about it being a, for PR people and advertising and stuff like that. What, is, if someone wants to go onto the site, what, what would they expect? Yeah, so Umbrella, I mean, re- really, is the idea is it's a conversation about for anyone who works or is interested in the communications industry. So that's anything from people involved in making content, you know, whether it's TV or whatever, through to um, the guys who buy and sell it, so people working in ad sales, people working in media agencies, there's people working in PR, there's journalists. So, so the idea being there's some sort of conversation going on that's relevant to you know, anyone working broadly in that industry. And then it's a mixture of news pieces, opinion pieces, and kind of, you know, the more lighter sort of diary pieces. And we back it up with um, with a fair bit of video as well. Mm. Well, you've, you've been going on the road lately, I've noticed on the site, with the uh, conferences, uh, Umbrella 360. Tell, tell me about them and, and how they've been received. Yeah, so Umbrella 360, that, that was our first, Big conference, so we've done we've done sort of you know the occasional kind of breakfast with maybe you know sort of four speakers, kind of in various sort of cities around Australia. But this was a two-day event, so we 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 did it in Sydney. There were about um, in the end about eight hundred people there, and the idea was that we just you know it, 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 it I guess replicated what we do on the site. You know, a series over the two days four streams, you know, just big conversations, you know, trying to have some really interesting conversations about the big issues. Um, one of the streams kind of focused on the screen industry, actually, so sort of TV and film. So, you know, we kind of, uh, you know, for instance, one, one of the most popular sessions actually was the one talking about um, the rise of, um, the, the rise of um, Twitter in the planning of TV shows, you know, how, how it's actually making an impact in how TV shows are made and watched. But um, but yeah, you know, we were we we were delighted with the support we got for um for what was our you know our first main event. Mm. And uh, is that going to be continuing in the future? Uh, from that success, will you be doing them again next yes. year? Yeah, we will. We'll, de- we'll definitely. Umbrella three hundred and sixty will definitely become an annual event. Um, we're also hoping to gear up what we do do on the training side of the industry. So um, uh, you know, sort of you know. Different kind of you know half day and one day training events and more more sort of smaller events. So I think the next thing we'll be doing is um, a film night for viewers, which is when Morgan Spurlock comes over to promote um, uh, his film, the which, which is about product placement and mainly in film but also in TV. Um, we'll be doing a Q and A with him for some of our you know some of the Umbrella readers. So that's coming up in the next few days actually. Look, during this podcast, I just had a, had a thought that I'd put to you. I noticed, obviously, with the, the commercial networks, obviously there's competition between them. With the, with the newspapers, there's competition between them, radio, obviously the same. But I noticed when you have media, I suppose media writers, particularly on online media writers, that there is more of a sense of that they're kind of all in this together. Because I noticed with things like for Media Week in Australia, when they do their podcasts, they'll invite you know, David Knox from TV Tonight or someone from The Age and someone from the Sydney Morning Herald. And, you know, I, I've gone back and forth chatting with, with people like David Knox at TV Tonight. And I'm happy to have you on this podcast, even though I do a media website, obviously two different websites. But, um, I mean, have you noticed that, that, that people that are like a writing in the media seem to be a, a lot more sort of together as opposed to how it is with, with uh, newspapers and radio and television? 
Uh, yes, uh, to, to a certain extent, I agree, particularly in the online sector. So, for you know, and uh, you know, I'd probably add Crikey into the list of examples. Of course, yep. As well as sort of, you know, write a fair bit about media. You know, so, but you know, in, in in other ways. So, so for instance, you know, the the our main source of revenue is still advertising, and when it comes to that, we're competing with the likes of Ad News and B and T. You know, who are sort of established print products as well. And you know our our salespeople, for instance, would compete very bitterly with their salespeople. You know they'd work very very hard to to get the deal to show that you know our outlet's better than their outlet or you know more cost efficient to reach the sort of people that the advertisers want to reach or or whatever it is. But at the same time, you know there's a there's a kind of level of good humoured banter amongst the um, you know amongst the journalists among the editors. You know you kind of you want to get the story first and you want to tease them that you did get it first. But at the same time. You know, we, we see each other two or three times a week at events sometimes. So um, you, you you actually tend to see more of your your peers and your competitors than you do anyone else in the industry because of course you it's a revolving cast at these events where the only the only people who end up going to the same things are sometimes the um, the trade journals. So you know, so from that point of view, you have to get along because you see much, so much of each other. Yeah. Um, I suppose just last question, you're about to start a new week, uh, so uh, what do you look at covering this week? What, what's happening with the site this week? Oh gosh, what's coming up this week? Um, yeah, actually one thing to look out for, what, what, what day of the week does your podcast usually go live? Uh, we'll probably be on Monday or Tuesday. Monday, so okay. I think on Wednesday, so I probably can't quite say yet. But we have um, we, we we shot a big what we think is a big video interview with um with a big radio personality, which is going to go up on uh on, on probably on Wednesday, and I I think that's going to generate some conversation. But I don't think I can quite yet say who it is, unfortunately. No worries. Um, well, I suppose that pretty much wraps things up. Thanks for uh, being on the podcast. Thanks for also having a, a chat about yourself, and um, I hope to chat again soon. So thank you very oh, much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. All right, Tim Burrows, editor of the website Mumbrella, which can be located at www.mumbrella.com.au for all things media and marketing under one umbrella. That is it for this podcast. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to bringing you another one real soon. Until then... I'm Aaron Ryan for tvcentral.com.au. See you then.